I'll be reading this morning from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you send me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you repeat verse 20 with me? To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Wendy, for your leading us into worship this morning. There are three things I want to mention real quickly uh, before I get into the message. The first uh, is, again, that Bill Tate will be here next Sunday. Uh, Bill Tate is from Glad Tidings, India. He is a longtime friend of, of this church. Um, and he's going to be talking about their mission in India where they are working hard to reach unreached people groups. Their, their focus is on groups that have never, never heard the message of Jesus Christ. And that's what we are we're helping with that as a church. Um, as he comes, he'll share a way that we can all be helping with that even as individuals. Um, and, and I just have to say about that particular ministry, in all my years of ministry, I've never... I've never encountered uh, an outreach group that we supported that is more diligent in their reporting of what's going on in their ministries, particularly the spiritual aspect, not just the dollars and cents, but the spiritual aspect and, and who's being reached and how and all of that thing. So I hope you will come and, and, and hear Bill. Uh, I, just, I know I'm looking forward just to, to seeing him and, and talking to him. I'm sure Larry is too, Larry and Sharon. Um, Secondly, um, in regards to our program of lighting the darkness through reading God's Word, if you signed up for that program, 
You have in your mailbox a form which you can report on the progress of your reading. We're going to be keeping track of that so that that black um, poster out in the hallway, we can start filling that with light rather than leaving it black. So if you have opportunity, fill out that report. If you read extra scriptures, you can fill that out. If you're not even in the reading program but you've been reading scriptures, you can grab one off the table and fill that out. There's a box for you to put it in. We will, again, be keeping track of that so that we can, in fact, light the darkness. Thirdly, the newsletter article is out there. If you have not grabbed one, uh, please do so. Um, I, I must say, there is an old saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. There's a couple of pictures in there that are not worth a comma. They, ju they just really are not, are not worth a comma, okay? You'll know. You'll know when you see them. Um, but um, uh, our, our newsletter uh, editor, I was, I was kind of going through the, the newsletter and just marveling at some of the really cool things in there, ready to just tell her what an awesome job she did. And then I saw those pictures. So, you know, you can, uh, you can blame those on her. All right. Let's, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be here in your presence. We're grateful that you are a loving, caring God who is interested in our growing and in our drawing closer to you. We, we thank you that you are a faithful God who knows our needs and, and reaches out to meet them. This morning, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just touch my words and my thoughts that they can clearly uh, convey your message. And I pray that you would anoint our ears, that for each one of us we can, be hear, we can hear and be touched in the way that we need to be touched, in the way that we need to be strengthened this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In a recent research project, a, a, a Ph.D. candidate did a survey trying to figure out how much it would cost to raise a child like Calvin from the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. Th this person focused on the amount of physical and property damage that, that uh, Calvin would cause. Uh, Calvin is, has an extraordinary, extraordinarily active imagination which gives life to Hobbes and is the impetus for Calvin to destroy everything from dishes and lamps two binoculars, and garage doors. The conclusion that was reached, in total, Calvin caused an estimated $15,955.50 worth of damage over the 10-year duration of the comic strip. So it concluded, if your little bundle of joy grows up to be a Tasmanian devil of terror, you can expect to pay almost two grand extra per year just in replacing or repairing items. We had three boys. I'm just, I'm just saying perhaps a little discipline appropriately applied might lessen that amount. Otherwise, it, it could get pretty scary. This morning, we're going to talk about financial insecurity. According to a CNBC survey that was just updated in August of 2023, 77% of Americans feel anxious about their financial situation. 
58% feel that finances control their lives, and 52% reported trouble controlling their money-related worries. Americans were most worried about their financial future, which includes not having enough money to retire, 68%, keeping up with the cost of living, 56%, and managing debt levels, 45%. And the impact financial stress has on Americans pretty much spreads out over every area of life, every aspect. Some respondents said they feel fatigued, 43%. Some find it difficult to concentrate at work, 42%, and have trouble sleeping, that's 41%. 25% of the responders said that financial stress was affecting their relationships. By the way, a, re uh, a recent Gallup poll pretty much confirms these worries and also pointed out that they have increased last year from, from previous years. Now many think that the answer to financial problems is simply more money. Person making 60,000 a year said all I need is $20,000 more to solve my problems. A lawyer said I make $150,000 a year. Another $25,000 a year would solve my problem. And a heart surgeon said all he needed was a couple hundred thousand more to solve his problems. All of which illustrates you can't overcome financial insecurity by throwing money at it. The more you have, the more you spend, and the more you want, and quickly it becomes a vicious circle, which provides little joy, little security, or freedom from fear. Paul had a few ideas on finances as well, which he shared with the Philippians in the text that was read earlier, and also with Timothy in the sixth chapter of his letter. And we'll be referring to that a number of times today. We're going to look at Paul's ideas for dealing with financial insecurity in terms of four steps that we can take in dealing with these fears. And step one is learn to be content whatever the circumstances. Learn to be content, whatever the circumstances. Contentment is a learned behavior. Paul didn't say that this contentment came to him when he found Jesus in his life. He didn't list it as one of the fruits of the Spirit, although it goes along with some of the fruits of the Spirit that he did mention. Instead, he writes, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Learning contentment isn't always easy. In fact, sometimes it is downright painful. In every case, it requires some effort and, and some diligence on our part. Contentment is learned in varying financial situations. In Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, the writer points out the, the, ex the dangers of the extremes in our financial situations. As he writes, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Other words, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. When we find ourselves at either of these two extremes, especially for a long period of time, those temptations exist. And our perception of what is required to make us content or to make us happy gets distorted. 
And then Paul continues, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. When, when Paul was a Pharisee and he was persecuting the church, he was probably in pretty good shape financially. In his ministry, there were times when he was well cared for and there were times when he felt very much abandoned and, and in need. Now he was writing this letter to the Philippians from prison, from a prison cell. And even in this situation, he had learned to be content. It seems to me from Paul's experience that perhaps we need to experience both times of plenty and times of want. Though I would guess we probably learn a lot more in the lean times than we do in those in which we're prosperous. While learning contentment is hard work and at times unpleasant, it's worth it in the long run because godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, let us be content with that. To live a godly life, be content with what God has given you and what he's called you to be. It's far better than the world's riches. Martin Luther wrote, Next to faith, this is the highest art, to be content with the calling in which God has placed you. And then he continued, I have not yet learned it. I think we can identify with that. Even if we, even if we understand the first statement, we probably look at ourselves and realize we have not yet learned that. Also, we must learn to be content with our basic needs because seeking the riches of this world leads to ruin and destruction and grief. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul continues on. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money. And remember, it's the love of money. It's not money. It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul's needs were simple. Food and clothing. We would add shelter and, and transportation and then we would probably keep on adding other things until we, we get ourselves in a lot of trouble and, and perhaps over our heads in debt. That's where the ruin and destruction and grief come in. Pastor Craig Burton tells of a couple who attended his church in Chicago and they lived in a very expensive condo overlooking Lake Michigan and they were facing financial problems. He suggested that they move into his neighborhood which was home to many young professionals, lawyers and business people who worked in the city. It was a nice well-to-do neighborhood. There were BMWs in many driveways. But the wife's reply to his suggestion was no, I won't live in a tent. When we fall in love with the riches of this world, our perception becomes twisted, and contentment will always elude us. The second step is learn to be generous with what you have. Generosity is an acceptable sacrifice 
pleasing to God. That's how Paul described the gifts that the Philippians had given to him. As Christians, our goal should be to please God by the way that we live our lives, by the way that we do our jobs, the way we we treat others around us, the way we spend our leisure time. And yes, the way we handle our finances, that should be done to please God. It pleases God when we are generous in giving to others and to the work of his kingdom. In verse 17, Paul even talks about these gifts being credited to their account. And he elaborates on this point in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever reaps generously will also reap generously. And who sows generously will also reap generously. Excuse me. We reap what we sow. If we treat others with kindness, that kindness will probably be returned to us. If we're generous to others, they'll probably treat us generously. If we ignore the needs of others, our needs may also be ignored. Years ago, commentator Paul Harvey shared a true story of a woman and her frozen Thanksgiving turkey. The Butterball Turkey Company set up a telephone hotline to answer consumer questions about preparing their holiday turkeys. One woman called to inquire about cooking a turkey that had been in the bottom of her freezer for 23 years. The Butterball representative told her that the turkey would probably be safe to eat if the freezer had been kept at below zero for the entire 23 years. But the representative warned her that even if the turkey was safe to eat, the flavor would probably have deteriorated so much that she wouldn't recommend eating it. The caller said, that's what I thought. We'll just donate it to the church. Be careful at carrying dinners. I wonder what she reaped from sowing a 23-year-old turkey. Scripture tells us to give of our best and our first fruits, not what's been lying around in our freezer for 23 years. According to Paul, even extreme poverty does not rule out generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, is a remarkable account of what even the poorest folks can do if they are determined to give to others. Paul writes, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme generosity, extreme poverty, excuse me, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. It's a surprising equation. Severe trial plus overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. The result was that they were able to give more to the hurting Christians in Jerusalem than anyone would have thought possible. It's amazing what happens when we are truly committed to give and be generous to others. We're even told that generosity lays a firm foundation for the coming age. Going back to 1 Timothy 16. 
Command them, and them are those who are rich in this present world. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. The way of the world is to store up treasures here so that we are financially secure. The way of the Christian is to be generous and willing to share in order to build a firm foundation for the life to come. And that leads to the next step. We need to learn to focus on what is of real value. Again, take hold of the life that really is life. Someone has written this about money. It can buy you a a house, but not a home. It can buy you a bed, but not sleep. It can buy you a clock, but not time. It can buy you a book, but not knowledge. It can buy you a position, but not respect. It can buy you medicine, but not health. It can buy you blood, but not life. Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus came to bring us that life that truly is life. Abundant life, eternal life, satisfying life, spiritual life, lived in relationship with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. In contrast to spiritual death, which is living in separation from God and in slavery to sin and to death and to Satan. That is life in the kingdom, and it requires a different kind of investment. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. If our hearts and our treasures are here on earth, we'll always have financial anxiety. Because the wealth of this world is temporary, and it's easily lost. And in the end, it never provides what it promised. It never provides security and joy and peace. On the other hand, if we live in the security of the life that Jesus brings, we don't have to fear anything because that life will never be lost as long as we continue our focus on him and we are secure in him for all of eternity. Billy Graham said, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, all is lost. Many people have have compromised their, their, their character and their integrity to get wealth in this world. They've done and said things that they knew were wrong to gain, fin- to gain financial wealth. In so doing, they've lost what's truly important and they've gained nothing of real value, nothing of the life that really is life. And in his autobiography, Just As I Am, Graham recalls a story demonstrating the emptiness of that path. He writes, some years ago, Ruth and I had a vivid illustration of this on an island in the Caribbean. One of the wealthiest men in the world had asked us to come to his lavish home for lunch. He was 75 years old, and throughout the entire meal, he seemed close to tears. I am the most miserable man in the world, he said. Out there is my yacht. I can go anywhere I want to. I have my private plane, my helicopters. I have everything. Everything I want to make my life happy. Yet I am miserable as hell. 
We talked to him and prayed with him, trying to point to him to Christ, who alone gives lasting meaning to life. So, and then we went down the hill to a small cottage where we were staying. That afternoon, the pastor of a local Baptist church came to call. He was an Englishman, and he too was 75, a widower who spent most of his time taking care of his two invalid sisters. He was full of enthusiasm and love for Christ and for others. I don't have two pounds to my name, he said with a smile, but I am the happiest man in the world. Graham asked his wife, Ruth, as they left, who do you think is the richer man? She didn't even bother answering. They both knew the answer to the question. If we want to be truly rich, we need to focus on the things that are of real value. Finally, step four is learn that financial fears subside through trusting God to meet all your needs. I'll repeat that. Learn that financial fears subside through trusting God to meet all your needs. Put your trust in God. He is the one who provides everything. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their trust in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Your hope in the future better not rest in the wealth that you've accumulated, because that could vanish in a moment. It better not lie in your insurance policies because they may never pay out the way you think they're going to. It better not lie in your employer or your position or your business because all those things are uncertain. If your hope is in those areas, you probably should be fearful. But what is certain is this. God is the one who has been providing for you all along. And he may have used some of those avenues that we just talked about. But he is the provider, not any of those things, not any of those individuals. He is the one who will continue to provide for you, who will continue to meet your needs. And there's nothing uncertain about him. He is, always has been, and always will be completely faithful to what he has promised. So trust in him. God has promised to meet the needs of his people. Paul writes boldly and in complete confidence, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He has glorious riches beyond our wildest imagination, and he's able to meet all of our needs spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically, and certainly financially if we commit our lives to him and focus our trust in him. David wrote, I was young and I am now old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. That doesn't mean that if you are a Christian, you will never go through any financial difficulty. And it certainly doesn't give us the right to dismiss the needy as somehow being unrighteous. But it does mean that if we commit our lives to God and live according to His Word, He will always provide for our needs, financial and otherwise. With these assurances before us, we can learn to pray confidently. 
We can learn to pray without fear in our hearts, without doubt. Scripture tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace. In verse 6 of Philippians 4, Paul wrote, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We don't have to come to God in fear. We can come in great confidence. How do we learn to pray in this way? How do we, do we get beyond the fear in our lives? On the screen and in my outline, you'll find something called the unafraid prayer. It was written by John White in his book, Unafraid. And I think this can be a very useful tool if you're having trouble getting beyond the fears in your life, whether they're financial or otherwise. And this prayer reads, Lord, I know that when I feel afraid, you can calm my heart. Yet at this moment, I'm not at peace about, and you can fill in the blank for whatever your fear is. The enemy wants me to be consumed by fear, but your word reminds me. And then you can use a, a memory verse, something that attacks that fear. Thank you that I can face my fears unafraid, knowing you are always with me. Amen. For instance, this morning, if you're dealing with financial fears, you might pray, Lord, I know that when I feel afraid, you want to calm my heart. Yet at this moment, I'm not at peace about my finances. The enemy wants me to be consumed by fear. But your word reminds me, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Thank you that I can face my fears unafraid, knowing you are always with me. Amen. The prayer can be useful in, in many situations. Whatever, Again, whatever your fear might be. And it points to the importance of knowing. God's word. In Psalm 34, verse 4, David wrote, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. How can we be delivered from our fears? Well, I would suggest that we, we probably ought to start by seeking the Lord as, as David did, with every ounce of our being, with everything within us. We need to commit our ways to Him. We need to trust in His Word and in His might. And we need to lean on His understanding and, and not our own. In our finances, that means learn to be content with the basic needs that God provides. Don't, don't go after all the, the wealth and the luxuries of this world. That leads to destruction. Learn to be generous with what God has given you. God blesses that. Learn to focus on what really is important, the life that really is life, the life that we find only in Jesus Christ. And remember that God has promised to meet all of your needs, all of your needs, out of His glorious riches. He is faithful. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we live in a world where so much is measured in dollar signs. Success, 
security, so many other things. And yet you have taught us to live differently. You have taught us that if we rely on you and if we trust in you and, and, and if we live for you, we can learn to be content in whatever situation. Probably none of us actually learned that yet. Help us in that learning process, Lord. And help us to be generous. And help us to trust you. Help us to devote ourselves to the life that really is life. Seeking your kingdom first. So that all the rest falls in line underneath. draw our hearts close to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.